thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. If you're here, please open up your app and follow along in the notes section. And I want you to be able to fill in the blanks. I want you to be able to be able to save those. You know, you can email those to yourself so you can have those and you can begin to save those back. And you'll want to be able to email those notes to yourself today because part of the action steps are to actually cut something out. There's something for you to do. So please follow along. But how many, if you've watched TV at all, you know that you've probably seen the commercial Like a Good Neighbor. It's not a commercial for them, but you know it, right? Everybody said it right as I said it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And I got to wondering as we were talking about being neighbor or being or neighboring, what does that look like? And I thought maybe that was an appropriate title, an appropriate song for us. Like a good neighbor, Faith Chapel's there. Or like a good neighbor, insert your name, you're there. Or like a good neighbor, Brian is there. Like a good neighbor, we're there. We're there when it matters. We're there when you need us. We're there when you're hurting. We're there when there's ministry that's needed. We're there like a good neighbor. And I, and I just wonder if that's what Jesus really, sometimes we overcomplicate things. And I, I think to just make it simple for us, I wonder if that's exactly what Jesus was trying to get across when he was speaking to that Jewish lawyer that day. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that Jewish lawyer asked, well, who's my neighbor? Maybe we should stop asking who is my neighbor and start going and being a neighbor. Like a good neighbor, we're there. We're there when somebody needs us. We're there when there's a hurt. We're there when there's pain. We're there when we can help pick up the pieces. We're there, we're there because that's what a good neighbor does. We have compassion, we have empathy, we have love and we operate out of those characteristics of Christ to the people that are around us. So in your notes, there's just some principles that I wanna give you today that are very practical but Again, this is a very practical series. I told you this is where practice and spirit meet together. It's kind of like the book of James, the how-to book of the Bible. And we're bringing it all together in this first principle. The first principle is this, the proximity principle. The proximity principle. And it is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's who are we next to? You know, for the, for the good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus told, it was walking down the road and there was somebody right there. Instead of going to the other side of the street, the proximity principle was, here's somebody, here's somebody in need right beside me. Instead of passing by them or going on the other side or turning my eye like I didn't see them, here's somebody in need. I need to, I need to engage in helping them. Maybe in your notes, maybe your neighbor might be this. It might be geographical. That's where you live. Because the proximity principle is this, is like there's people that are actually your neighbors on either side of you. I mean, they're on the left, right across the street, maybe catty corner, but you have people that live right next to you that are your neighbors. Or maybe, just maybe it is a marketplace. That's the place where you work or your school. Maybe your neighbor is in your marketplace and that's where God has given you favor. And I guarantee you there's people there that need Christ. And, and he, he's saying, why don't you let those people be your neighbor? Why don't you learn their stories and be able to share your story? Why don't you be able to understand their life beyond just the cubicle and find out their names and their family names, their kids' names, and find out what's going on in their world, what makes them tick, what makes them hurt, how can you minister to them? Or maybe thirdly, your, your social place, that's where you play or where you travel, where you have fun, where you do hobbies. Everywhere you go, there's an opportunity for you to be a good neighbor 
In scripture, the word neighbor, still in your notes, means near to or near. And what Jesus is really saying in that moment, he's saying that wherever you go, whoever crosses your path, that's your neighbor. Wherever you see a need, and you know, Tommy Barnett said it for years, he said, find a need and fill it. Wherever you find a need, fill it. That's your neighbor. That's the person you're to give your life to. And what struck me about the Good Samaritan this week as I was going through it all afresh and again is that we tend to think that being a neighbor to somebody means I have to establish a relationship with them. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan did not have a previous relationship with the man that he found. He didn't know his name. He didn't know anything about him. In fact, he was a complete stranger, and that's the story that Jesus used to talk about who's a neighbor. So maybe we're making this, again, way too complex. Then maybe we need to step back and go, where are the people that are around me? Where's the need that's around me? Where can I show compassion and grace? And where can I show love? Because no previous relationship is required to be a good neighbor. You know, I, I, a life verse for me is found in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, because it speaks to your purpose here in this life. It lets us know that God chose the exact place and the exact time for you to be living. It reads like this, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Did you get that last part? There are pre-appointed times, meaning he pre-appointed you before the foundations of the world, the moment that you were to give, that you're, you were going to come into this world. The moment that your mother gave birth to you, he chose that moment. He had already called me by name. He said, June 19th, yesterday, my birthday, amen. He said, June 19th, 1965, and he said, sorry for that, I just choked up when I say my birthday, getting a little older here. June 19, 1965, he said, that's gonna be the moment that Brian Ross comes into this world. He chose that. My mom didn't. She may have thought she did. They may have tried to plan it. They may have tried to script it, put it all together. Like, hey, it'd be great if we had a baby on this day. But I can tell you that it was God who pre-appointed my time. It was also God who put boundaries of my dwelling. What does that mean? He chose where I'm living. Now, you may not like where you're living, but God may have a divine appointment for you there. In fact, I, I believe that God has a divine assignment for you right where you are. And instead of looking at your dwelling and saying, I hate this place, or I don't like living here, or I wish I lived someplace else, or I wish I had a bigger dwelling, I wish I had a bigger house, or I wish I had more, why don't we look at the neighbor around us, the neighbors around us, and say, like a good neighbor, here I am. What can I do? Because God established where I would dwell. He established where I would live. And he established that I would be right here in this moment. So there's a mission, there's a calling, there's a purpose, there's something for me to do. You know, being neighborly and having neighbors is incredibly important. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Outliers, he talked about, he talked about a really small town called Rosetto, Pennsylvania. It was a really small town because there was a large group of people from Rosetto, Italy, that decided to all pack up, leave Italy and move, and they all settled and formed a town in Pennsylvania, named it the exact same name as in Italy, Rosetto, Pennsylvania now. And what was so intriguing to the medical profession was that there was a very, very low case of disease, and especially heart disease in that community. They couldn't get over how healthy the people were in this one little community. 
They went to the neighboring communities and found out that wasn't the case. So they didn't believe that it had anything to do with environment. They went on and they did a deeper study that lasted several years. And this is the one conclusion that they found out. It didn't have anything to do with diets. It didn't have anything to do with that. But it was the connection to their neighbors that made the difference. Quality of life, living longer, a positive self-esteem, a connection to your neighbors has a profound effect upon your life. So maybe when Jesus said, I want you to go and be neighborly, he was saying, I care about you and I want you to have a good life. I want you to be healthy. I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And the way you do that, because he wired us, was to be a good neighbor. See, again, the theme for the message for me is maybe we just make things too complex. Out of 175 to 200 churches that are closing every single week here in America, maybe the simple solution is simply this. We just forgot how to be neighbors. And then if we would start being neighborly again and we would start caring about the people that are on the left and the right of us and on the back and the front of us and we would start caring about those people that, that, are in, that we're in contact with, just maybe, just maybe that was God's plan all along to share the gospel with people around us and provide a blessing into our lives as well. So that's the first principle. The second is the kindness principle. How many know we could use a little kindness in our world today. Huh? I mean, we could just absolutely use a little bit of kindness. This is the practical idea of loving, but most of us move from, listen, most of us move from the great commandment to the great commission. We go from the great commandment, love God and love others to the great commission, making disciples. And we just jump from that to that without ever considering anything in between, which looks a whole lot like being kind to one another, loving one another caring for one another, praying for one another, especially those who despise you and hate you and say false things against you. The kindness principle works. It's, it's, it's getting to know your neighbors deeper. It's getting to know the people around you better. And why? Because those people matter intensely to God. See, here's, here's what I wrote in my notes. I think there's a big difference between hey bro and hey Joe. And a lot of you, you know your neighbors on that level. Hey, bro, how you doing? Good to see you. Shut the door, pull out of the driveway. And you don't even really know his name. There's a big difference between hey, bro, and hey, Joe. So let me ask you a question. Are your neighbors glad that you live next door? Or, last question, if you moved, would they even notice? I mean, if the moving van pulled up in the middle of the night, you put all your stuff in and moved away, I mean, how long would it take for them to go? You know, I think they moved. What were their names again? I don't know. Well, they're gone. Well, I guess we'll get some new neighbors. Maybe they'll be more friendly. You see, we, we, we've got to get outside of our comfort zone and maybe show a little kindness. Somebody moves into the neighborhood. You could take them a gift, knock on their door, say, welcome to the neighborhood. I live such and such down the street. If you ever need anything, let me know. Just showing a little kindness, a little kindness in the grocery store, a little kindness on the highways, a little kindness at your workplace, a little kindness in your school goes a long, long way and separates you, by the way, from many other people that are around you. The third is the principle is the love principle. Listen to me very carefully, write this down. Jesus didn't say, fix your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor. Come on, say amen. 
He didn't say fix your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor. And so many of us, we get all worked up when we're like, I'm just gonna go over there and give them a piece of my mind. I'm gonna let them know they're doing this wrong. Or why do they always have to park their car in front of our house? And we get so frustrated. That doesn't sound an awful lot like love to me. Listen to Luke chapter six, verse 32 in the message. I love how it reads in the message version. Here's the simple rule of thumb for behavior. Well, great. Here's how we're going to behave. This is the simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Well, run of the mill sinners do that. I mean, if only, if you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal or something? I mean, garden variety sinners even do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity or love? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. You see, I think Jesus is saying, let's go the second mile. Remember the second mile principle? Somebody wants you to go one mile, then go two. In that day, it was that, that principle spoke directly to something that was happening in that moment. The Roman soldiers, their, their outer, you know, the, everything that they had, their, their shield, their armament, their sword, everything, it could weigh anywhere between 80 to 100 pounds. And they could walk through any village. They could just point to you and say, it was by law. They would take it off and say, you're gonna carry this. And you were obligated by law to carry that one mile. And what Jesus was speaking to, the very practical thing he was speaking to in that day, is when, when one Roman soldier who undoubtedly probably is operating out of his authority and forcing you to abandon whatever your important thing that you're doing in that moment. When he says that it's, you're going to go one mile with me, he says, go ahead and pick it all up. And after, once you get to the one mile marker, just keep going a second mile. I've often wondered what that conversation looks like on the second mile. The first mile, I bet the Roman guard is not talking to him at all. They have nothing in common. And I bet he's just carrying his armor and the guy's just glad to have a little relief from carrying the heaviness of all of his equipment. But when they get to the one mile marker and he says, all right, you can put it down now. And he begins to go, he says, no, no, I got you one more mile. I bet the conversation all of a sudden changes. Why would you do that? Don't you need to go back to your family? Oh yeah, the crops are due and we got to get them in. There's so much happening on the farm. There's so much going on at home. My wife, her, our oldest daughter is expecting any time now. We're about to bring in a, a new baby into the world. Well, don't you want to get back to, oh yeah, I want to get back. But I'm just going to go one more mile with you. Why would you do that? You see the conversation that starts? And I wonder if that's what Jesus is really getting across to us. That when we go the second mile, that it opens up redemptive conversations. And at the very least, it allows us to stick out because we're doing something that nobody else is doing. So let me just ask you as before we move on, what are you doing that nobody else around you is doing? How are you putting God on display in your life? What are you doing that's allowing Christ to shine in your life? You know, today there's a, there's a call for tolerance. And, and, and Christians are not called to be intolerant, amen? But we are called to love. In your notes, here's what I put, just so you understand it. Tolerance condescends, but love honors. 
And wherever you go and whatever you're doing, how can you honor those people that are around you? How can you honor those that are at your workplace? How can you honor those students that you teach? How can you honor your neighbor? How can you honor your employees? How can you honor those that are in your own home? How can you show honor? Because that's really what love looks like. I heard a story this past week of a guy that was going around knocking on doors, door to door, doing witnessing. And he knocked on this guy's door and he says, hey, we would love to tell you about what God is doing in our life. And, and that guy says, I'm an atheist. He said, that's okay. He said, you got just a moment. Maybe we could pray with you. Is there anything you have that we could pray with you about? He goes, you understand? I don't believe in that. I'm an atheist. And that guy said, okay, no problem. We don't want to take your time. We don't want to respect you. And he said, thank you so much for answering the door. And he turned to walk away and he felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he asked him this question. He spun back around and he said, hey, you, you know this neighborhood better than I do. Could you just give us a a snip, you know, a snapshot of what's going on in this neighborhood so we could pray better for this neighborhood. What's happening? And that guy says, well, you really need, you really want to know? He said, yeah, I really want to know. And he began to list off right off the top of his head. He began to list off about three or four or five things that he said were really important that they need a prayer for. And he said, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. And and they got ready to leave. And again, he felt prompted one last time. So he turned back around to that man. And he said, would you mind if we pray for those things right now so you could hear our heart and you could hear God's heart over this neighborhood? And that guy says, well, I'm like, atheist, I don't believe in that, but if you wanna pray, go ahead and pray. And the guy stepped out of his house. He looked both ways to make sure nobody was looking. He said, come on in. And they came close to the door and he put his hands over them. He goes, why don't we just pray together? Well, in the back of his mind, he, the guy that was knocking on the doors thought to himself, I thought you were an atheist <laughs> and you didn't believe in prayer. But now all of a sudden you want to be a part of praying. The idea of the story was this. I mean, I'd like to tell you that the guy gave his life to Christ, went to church the next day. Right now he's a deacon in his church, right? I'd like to tell you all those great things, right? I don't know what happened. The Bible tells us some people plant, some people water, right? There's a process. But I will tell you this, that he was open maybe for the first time in his life for praying for somebody all because the the people that were there were honorable. They were honoring of his time, honoring of who he was, honoring of his position. And the guy began to open up because he showed honor. When we honor those around us, it brings down the walls and it open up, opens doors for us to be able to minister. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his position, his prestige, and even his life for the welfare of others. In dangerous valleys and hazardous pathways, he will lift some bruised and beaten brother to a higher and more noble life. That's what we do. We're to lift people to a, more, a higher and a more noble life. We're to honor them and lift them up. We're to consider, the Bible says, all others better than ourselves. That's our role. That's our responsibility. In Luke chapter 10, verse 33, it says this of the Samaritan, but, the, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, saw him, and took pity on him. So what does love in your neighbor look like? Really quickly, number one in your notes, back in your notes, love is proactive. He came to where the man was. It may require you, in other words, to get out of your comfort zone and be actually getting to move and go towards something. Here at the church, I call it aggressively friendly. We don't just ask people to stand at the door and shake hands as people finally get to them. 
We call it aggressively friendly. Like you go to them and say, hey, how are you doing? Go shake their hand. Don't wait for them to shake yours. To be proactive in doing that. The second thing is observant. He came to where the man was and he saw him. He was observant. He was looking around at the needs. He was looking around at his environment, at the things that are in front of him. He was looking for maybe a divine appointment that day. He was like, there's something that God has for me. Maybe this is it. And thirdly, he was compassionate for he took pity on him. All in one verse. What's love look like? It's proactive, it's observant, and it's compassionate. I conclude with this verse out of 2 Timothy chapter two, and it's not on the screen, I don't believe, but, if, but I came across it just this weekend and I wanted to put it in my notes to end the message this way. I just felt like God put it on my heart. We've had this passage read to us a number of different ways. And it says this, I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority. When we've read that verse before, we usually stick on that last part, for kings and all those in authority. That we're to pray for our government, government leaders, that we're to pray for the president and the governor and the senators and the congressmen, and we pray for those that are in our workplace, that those are over us. Anyone that's in a position of authority, we're to pray for them. But we miss something when we jump there, don't we? What does it say? Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For everyone. Then it goes on, and for those who are in authority over us. Well, why in the world would we need, why in the world would scripture indicate that we, that we need to pray for all people? Well, it goes on to say, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. There's a direct correlation between your praying for other people and those in authority and you living a life of peace. What do we see in our world today, in our country today? We see a lack of peace. And we serve the Prince of Peace. We serve, the, we serve a God who has given us his spirit, the comforter who dwells with inside of us, who gives us that peace. And so the absence of peace in our life might be a direct indication that we're really not praying for all people and for those that are in authority because otherwise we would live peaceful and quiet lives. Verse three goes on to say this, for this is good and it pleases God your savior. If you wanna please God, well then what do we do? We pray for all people and we pray for those in authority. And verse four, who wants all people, here's why. Here's why we pray. It's not just for our benefit, but why do we pray for all people? Because God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What, what opens up the door for a redemptive conversation? Why am I asking you to pray for your neighbor? Why did I ask you this week to pray and walk your neighbor? Why am I asking you to do this? Because the thing that precedes somebody giving their life to Christ, what opens their heart's door? Just a little crack so the gospel and the light of the gospel can get in there. What is it? It's prayer. It's you praying for all people. It's you praying for your neighbors, your workplace, your boss, your coworkers. It's you praying for the places that you go, for the people that you meet. It's you being open that when you pray for all people with petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving, God says, I'm gonna open up the door so that all people can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all people to be saved. Church, there has to be something inside of us that stirs us as much as God has stirred for lost people. 
We can't just be a church that's a, a country club that's here for those that, that stumble in and want to be a member. We've got to be open to anyone and everyone, whosoever will, may come. The door is open. The gospel is open to anyone, and we pray that this city, that this community be transformed by the power of God. How many of you are with me? We're going to pray. When your action steps this week, cut out and fill out the neighborhood map that's there. So you'll have to send it to yourself, print it out, and write down the neighbor's names. If you don't know them, then you can add them as you go and as you're praying. And then the second action step is how can you apply today's sermon to those that are closest to you, the proximity principle? And how can you begin to those that are closest to you start showing that kind of kindness and love towards them? And you remember what Jesus told what Jesus told that Jewish lawyer, go and do likewise. Go, let's go. Let's get in the game. Let's get into what God's doing and make ourselves available this week to see God begin to bring souls into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Bow your heads with me all over this building. and Those of you that are watching online, please bow your heads with me. And maybe you're here today in this room or you're watching online and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you, the greatest decision I've ever made was asking Christ into my life. It was a complete and absolute transformation. For the good, my life got better. And it's been better ever since. I found that God's word is faithful and true. I found that God is faithful and true. That he'll do what he says he'll do. He's watched over every part of my life. There's not enough hours in the day for me to give thanksgiving to all that God has done. If you're watching, you're here today and you know that you're outside of God's grace, you know that you, you haven't received his love into your life and there's forgiveness of sin. And this, is, this appeals for you. It begins right here, right now. Today's the day of salvation. Right now is your appointed time. So I'm speaking to you. Don't let this moment pass by. And if that's you, I want you to say this prayer out loud. I want you to mean it from the bottom of your heart because the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is you and me calling upon God, bringing his great work of salvation into our life. I know you have a lot of questions and I know there's many things that might be confusing, but this step of faith is the door that opens all those things. And it'll be a journey of discovery of all that God has for you and all that God wants to do in you. But this is the first step. And I challenge you to take it with me. Will you say this prayer with me all over this building and online? Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you, be my savior and my Lord. I thank you for loving me and bringing me into your family. I choose to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.